Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Reverend Eric Mason. We will get to our question for today in just a moment, but first, some business. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all new episodes. Also, would you take a minute and review this podcast? The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. The more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have a specific question about what you hear on the show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a topic, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle at Rev Eric Mason or by visiting our page at www.anchor.fm forward slash Muslims want to know. As always, each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones. So if you're joining us for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before resuming this one. Now, it's been a few weeks since our last episode of 2020, and I'm so thankful to have covered as many questions as we did last year. Has the Bible been corrupted? Do Christians worship three gods or one God? How can God die? What is Christmas? And now, as we turn the corner from 2020 to 2021, we're going to revisit some of the main themes as last year. At the same time, we're going to be answering many more of your excellent questions. And speaking of your questions, about three weeks ago, we ran a campaign on Facebook asking people from around 16 different countries which topic we should start with this year. I just want to shout out and say thank you to everyone who voted on our very first question of 2021. Now, the first question, as voted on by our listening audience, is why are there so many Bible translations? Great question, and one that comes up quite frequently along with the topic of whether the Bible has been corrupted. Before answering today's question about the Bible from a traditional Christian perspective, I want us to pause and reflect on what a Muslim scholar has to say about translations of the Quran. Dr. Zakir Nayak gave a talk in 2014 that was later posted to YouTube. After his original lecture, he took questions from the audience, and one of the audience members had a question about learning the Quran in Arabic. In fact, if you want to look up this brief video, all you have to do is search is it compulsory to learn Arabic language to understand the Quran by Dr. Zakir Nayak? You can search that on YouTube. I'm going to paraphrase what Dr. Nayak said, so feel free to check the video if you have any questions. Dr. Nayak stated, it is not compulsory to learn the Arabic language in order to understand the Quran. He said the Quran must be recited in Arabic, but it is better understood by reading a translation in your native language. He even says that translations are good at conveying the meaning of the text, but do not capture perfectly what the text says in context. In that video, he said it's good to learn the Arabic to gain a full understanding of the original text, but is not necessary 
and it's certainly not compulsory. Now, I myself, along with other pastors and priests, am in agreement with Dr. Nyack regarding translations of the Bible. It is good for Christians to learn the ancient languages in order to gain a better understanding of portions of the Bible. It's also good to be able to teach others using those original languages. But the many translations we have today do a very good job at conveying the meaning of the original text. As such, it is not necessary to know Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek to gain a full understanding of the Bible. With all of that in mind, the short answer to the question, why are there so many Bible translations, is this. Christians believe every person on the planet should have access to the Bible in their native language so that they may understand God's eternal words to mankind. Like Dr. Nyack, we believe translations are good at conveying the meaning of the text and that it is not compulsory to learn them in the original languages. But I think you and I need to go a little bit deeper than this short answer. You see, Along with the question, why are there so many Bible translations, my Muslim friends often follow up that question by asking, well, what about the NIV or the ESV or the NLT or the CSB? Their interest has more to do with the fact that there's so many translations. Because there's so many translations, can any one of them actually be trusted? The job of translators is to look at the original texts and create a translation that does not add or subtract any meaning from the original texts. To demonstrate this, I'm going to read John chapter 3, verse 16 in four different translations. As you will no doubt be able to hear, although the translations are slightly different, they do not change the meaning of the text. So again, this is John chapter 3, verse 16 in the CSB, the ESV, the NIV, and the NLT versions. The CSB. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The ESV. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The NIV For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The NLT For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Four different translations, all conveying the same meaning. And this is good because it demonstrates that although the source material is the same, the different translators are not adding to or subtracting anything from the translation that could corrupt the original meaning of the biblical authors. Now, here's some more information about English translations of the Bible. Personally, I like to use the CSB translation for the purpose of this podcast and in my everyday reading. So is that the best Bible translation all people should read? Well, not necessarily. 
Some English translations are more literal renderings of the original language. Now, because these English translations are more literal, the words can sometimes come across as unnatural in how they are written or how the sentences sound when read. I would put the ESV and the NASB translations in this category. Now, these translations are excellent for seminary students, for priests and pastors who are trying to do word studies on the original languages, but oftentimes they're not great for everyday reading or everyday use. Now, other translations do a good job both retaining the literal translation while making the English easier to read or recite. I would put the CSB and the NIV translations in this category. So, why do I recommend the CSB translation? Well, it's simply because the translators of the CSB did an excellent job staying true to the literal translation of the original texts while making it easy to read and recite. Now, still other translations, such as the NLT, do a great job at retaining the meaning of the original text while making the translation very easy to read. Now, maybe you're saying, you know what, Eric, I understand everything you just said, but the issue is the original Arabic of the Quran has not been changed and has been perfectly preserved throughout the years. Unlike the Bible, any new translations consistently use the same Arabic for every translation. And to that, I'm going to say two things. First of all, for the purpose of our discussion today, I will not be speaking to whether or not the Quran has been perfectly preserved. That kind of discussion is actually better done, I think, in person, definitely over a cup of chai or, or over some food rather than through a podcast like this one. Instead, I'm going to leave it up to you to do some of that research about the preservation of the Quran. But can I suggest something? One thing that helped me early on in my faith was reading many criticisms made against Christianity and the preservation of the Bible. So, in addition to your Islamic sources, would you also take a look at some of the criticisms of the preservation of the Quran? And if you don't know where to start with that, send a direct message to my Twitter handle, at Rev Eric Mason, and I can send you a list of resources to check out. Second, I recommend going back and listening to the first two episodes of this podcast. The very first two episodes talk in great length about the preservation of the Bible. So where do we go from here? Well, I think the next questions we should begin asking ourselves when it comes to translations of the Bible are, how do Christianity's unique views and understanding of God and the Bible relate to why there are so many different translations? What does Lord Jesus have to do with the revelation of God's word, and why is any of that important? So to answer all those questions, I'm going to be dividing the remainder of this podcast into four points. Point number one, it can be determined that God exists by looking at nature. However, humans require divine revelation in order to know and understand him. Point number two, God has been fully revealed to us through Lord Jesus Christ. Point number three. The Bible contains the eternal words of God which have been preserved for us. However, the Bible is not the uncreated eternal word of God. That title belongs to Lord Jesus Christ.
Point number four. God wants all of humanity to receive his revelation. As such, the Bible must be accessible, be communicated to every tribe, nation, and tongue, and must be done so without changing the meaning of the ancient texts as they have been preserved and passed down to us. Point number one. It can be determined that God exists by looking at nature. However, humans require revelation in order to know and understand him. There have been many debates and discussions about whether or not God can be known through observation of nature. This argument from the observation of the created world is called the teleological argument. Fun fact. The teleological argument is derived from the Greek word telos, which means end or goal. The teleological argument is a proof of the existence of God based on one's ability to see all of creation as a result of intelligent design. The teleological argument was first recorded in the writings of Socrates and was further adapted and developed in the Middle Ages by Christian theologian St. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas used the teleological argument as one of five ways to prove God's existence. The Bible itself confirms the principles of the teleological argument. Romans chapter 1 verses 19 through 20. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Now, one thing of note, the teleological argument is used as proof that an intelligent creator exists. However, it does not prove who that intelligent creator is. You see, for us to know who God is requires further revelation, which can only come from him. That kind of revelation comes to us through the teachings derived from the biblical authors. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15 and verse 17. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So, we can know who God is based on how he has revealed himself. For us today, that means we can know God through two sources. First, through his words to the prophets and through the biblical authors. And second, through how God chose to reveal himself in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Point number two, God has been fully revealed to us through Lord Jesus Christ.
God's love for humanity is revealed throughout the Holy Scriptures, yes. But the true depth of God's love for us was revealed in and through Lord Jesus. As the Son of God, and therefore God himself, Lord Jesus taught us both the height of God's laws and the depth of God's love. In regards to the law, Lord Jesus taught us that following the letter of the law was not good enough if evil still remains in our hearts. With regards to God's love, Lord Jesus taught us that God loved us so much, he was willing to go down into God-forsakenness to redeem and glorify humanity. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now maybe you're thinking to yourself, Eric, what does this have to do with these translations? Well, I'm, I'm getting there, and thanks for sticking with me. There are certainly decrees throughout the Bible that we should meditate on the Word of God, that we should memorize the Word of God and study the Word of God. See, even Lord Jesus himself says to obey his commands. But there are no laws throughout the Bible which dictate that the Word of God must be learned and must be recited in a particular language. Point number three. The Bible contains the eternal words of God which have been preserved for us. However, the Bible is not the uncreated eternal word of God. That title belongs to Lord Jesus Christ. One of the clarifications I want to make about the Bible is this. The way Muslims view the Quran is different than how Christians view the Bible. Now, I know you probably know this, but it's worth mentioning again. Muslims believe that the Quran is the eternal, uncreated word of God, which eternally exists on stone tablets in heaven. And this is important for clarification. Christians do not make that claim about the Bible. We do not claim that the Bible is the eternal word of God. Wait, hold up, full stop. Now, I know you've heard a Christian YouTuber or a Christian friend say that the Bible is the eternal word of God and that every word has been perfectly preserved. But trust me when I say this, those well-meaning folks have not done their proper research. So why don't you and I just think through some of this together here. If the Bible were the eternal, uncreated word of God, the Bible would then necessarily exist as a separate eternal entity from God, as a separate, eternal, uncreated being, the Bible would eternally be in competition with God. In addition to this, it would mean that two eternal beings exist in heaven. But Christians are monotheistic, not polytheistic. Therefore, there cannot be an eternal God and an eternal word that exists separately from God. Now let's look at this from a different kind of theological issue. The Bible contains the eternal words of God, but has been written down by human authors. Therefore, the Bible is created. And because the Bible is created, it cannot be eternal. And now let's revisit 
that point number three. Let's look at the second half of point number three, because it points to something absolutely amazing that has a lot of relevance with this theology portion here. You see, there's one person who is called the Word of God in the Bible, and that person is none other than Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus is the second person of the triune God. He has eternally existed and is uncreated. Because he exists as the second person of the triune God, he is neither separate from God, nor is he in competition with God, because God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus is identified in the Bible as being both the Word of God and God himself. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I will have more to say about how Lord Jesus is the Word of God in a future episode, but for our purposes today, I want to make sure you understand that Christians who claim that the Bible is the eternal Word of God have a bit more research to do or a bit more growth that they need to do. So let's turn now from our theological issues and let's move towards some of the textual issues that we have with that point as well. There's a difference between saying the Bible is the eternal word of God and every word has been perfectly preserved and what Bible scholars prefer to actually say. They prefer to say that the Bible contains the eternal words of God, which have been preserved for us. And why do they prefer that? Well, it's simply because we do not have the original autographs. So does that mean that the Bible we have today is corrupted? Well, by no means. Christians still believe that God oversaw the recitation of his word, the writing of his word, and the preservation of his word. And remember, there are consequences for anyone who attempts to change God's words. The Bible was recorded more accurately and over a longer period of time than any other ancient text. The early Jewish and Christian communities preserved the original manuscripts by making sure copies were made throughout history. After examining the 24,000 New Testament and 42,000 Old Testament manuscripts, scholars have come to the conclusion that the Bible has not been corrupted through the copying process of manuscripts, nor has it been corrupted by the addition or subtraction of books from the Bible, and nor, as we learned today, has it been corrupted through any of the translations of the Bible. So to put it simply, Christian scholars are positive that the copies we have preserve the very words of the biblical authors. And therefore, the translations we have preserve those words as well. Point number four. God wants all of humanity to receive his revelation. As such, the Bible must be accessible, must be communicated to every tribe, nation, and tongue, and must be done so without changing the meaning of the ancient texts as they have been preserved and passed down to us. God cares about and loves 
each and every person on this planet. As such, he wishes to be fully revealed to each person through his eternal words and his eternal word, Lord Jesus Christ. This revelation is made known to humanity through the words of the Bible. It's only fitting that God, who created language, would not restrict the world from knowing him by having all people have to learn one language to do so. That's not indicative of a loving God who desires relationship with his creation. And as we continue to translate the Bible into more languages, it's imperative that in order to communicate God's love as expressed through his word and through Lord Jesus, every attention must be given to making sure that future translations continue neither to add or subtract any meaning from the original biblical authors. I want to leave you today with this beautiful passage from the book of Revelation. In it, a scene unfolds before the Apostle John. See, he has a vision of heaven. And in this vision, he sees a people from every nation, tribe, and language standing and worshiping the Lord together. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, for continuing our conversation together. I hope and pray that you continue to seek God, asking for visions and asking for clarity on all these Christian claims. And if you need some resources for further study that I used, I encourage you to take a look at The Shorter Summa by St. Thomas Aquinas, The Trinity by St. Augustine. Is it compulsory to learn the Arabic language to understand the Quran by Dr. Zakir Nayak, which you can find on YouTube, and various articles from thegospelcoalition.org and wikipedia.com. The Bible translation I use is the Christian Standard Bible. And you can read the Christian Standard Bible by downloading the YouVersion app and selecting the CSB as your Bible translation. And that sound means it's about time to wrap up. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you stay up to date on all new episodes. Also, would you take a minute and review this podcast? And as always... If you have specific questions about what you heard on the show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a point I made, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle at Rev Eric Mason or by visiting our page at www.anchor.fm forward slash Muslims want to know. I will do my best to answer those questions in future podcasts. I also encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend or coworker and ask them about the things you hear on this podcast. If you hear something about Islam you didn't know before, research it or ask your Muslim friends or imam about it. I want to wish everyone a happy new year from our recording studio at the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago, Illinois. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. Music